Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, a weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit our website at thisweekincraft.beer. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Dan from Wonder Beyond Brewing, based in central Manchester. Launched back in December 2017 as a small team with an ambition to make beers bursting with flavour. Inspired by the outdoors and their love for adventure, Wonder Beyond began to develop a surreal and exciting world to reflect the flavour of their beers. Hops climb mountains, barrels dwell in caves, and mischievous fruit roam free. Dan, please can you introduce yourself and tell me about your beer journey and how you came to start Dan's Brewing, which eventually became Wonder Beyond. Hi, I'm, I'm Dan with Wonder Beyond and we started in 2017, December, mm. Wonder Beyond, I think, because we should be coming up to our third birthday this December. Right. So yeah, and, and you briefly mentioned Dan's Brewery there, so <laughs> I suppose we should start with that. So I, I sort of started that up back in... 2016 I sort of started probably a bit different to a lot of other brewers out there I guess I was in a very fortunate position where I sort of grew up around it and so probably started helping out around the brewery doing odds and sods when I was 10 11 12 sort of wow. thing um, whose brewery was that then it's a marble brewery mm-hmm. based in, in Manchester so right obviously it, it's been going strong for 20 plus years Absolutely, now yeah yeah um couldn't have asked for a better place to to start and learn really very fortunate Definitely. um yeah, yeah some great memories as a as a kid you know summer holidays and stuff <laughs> getting to not mess around in the brewery but you know learn learn a lot of stuff yeah, and be yeah. in a different environment which was was really cool so i guess it sort of starts way back then and then sort of fast forward went to school went to college went to university and my dad always says he was uh, tried to push, not push me away from it, but you know, give us option options for for other possibilities. So right, so I sort of went and did my maths degree at York University, becoming a meteorologist on the car. Oh well, wow. <laughs> them sort of, uh, but then I have to admit, just sort of ended up just falling in love with drinking beer, obviously, and and then wanting to to follow that through. Shortly after uni, went and got. A, a lot more involved in in marble for a, for a little while. Right. So I started doing some qualifications through them from the basic sort of brewing and distilling bits and bobs. Yep. And basically learned a lot there, and then was fortunate enough to be able to take some time while I was there to go and you know just help out at a few other breweries. Right. So mm-hmm. I wanted to travel around, try out at a couple of others, see how people do things differently. So I think one of the first places I went and helped out at was Magic Rock. Right. When, mm-hmm. And this is back when it was behind the rock shop in Huddersfield. So it was back at his first site. Yeah, so you're talking, um, what, seven, eight years ago or so? Or... Oh, God. Yeah, when you say it like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, yeah, God, where's the time gone? <laughs> <laughs> so back then, and that was really good fun. I had, had really good time there for a couple of weeks. I think they had basically had someone uh, book off, you know, annual leave. They basically said, oh, if, if you want to come help out for a week or two, you know, that would be dead handy. So, nice. yeah. so that was really good, really good bunch of guys there, had a great time. And then I went on to help out 
after Magic Rock, I was back at Marvel for a little bit and then got to help out at Leeds Brewery for a okay. couple of weeks. Nice. Um, and again, that was a totally different setup compared to Marvel and Magic Rock at those times. So, like, it was the first time I went to somewhere that was actually double brewing right. and one main core beer that was like 90 odd percent of the uh, production sort of thing and, and they were brewing that day in day out so i think right. it was a really good experience for me doing shift shift brewery like right. brewing and the guys there were really nice like really looked after me and um yeah that so that was good fun um and learned a lot there and, and whatnot and then again shortly went back to marvel for a little bit mm-hmm. and then the next trip i got to do was uh, a couple of weeks over christmas time over december helping out at burning sky um, oh, fantastic so, yeah yeah that's a real yeah thing. burning sky was lovely like mm. the, the location of the brewery is so ideal it's it well i uh picturesque rather right. than ideal oh, so the um, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's just beautiful um and obviously learn uh, uh, so much uh, from the guys there so knowledgeable and again really nice people too so i think i looked out everyone super nice and was super uh, friendly and, and willing to to just help 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 me learn and Brilliant. and yeah have, have a good time at the same same time. So <laughs> really enjoyed that passage of time learning and traveling. Right. And then was back at Marvel and then at that point Magic Rock had 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 someone moved a position became available and he said, "Oh, do you want to come in there fill these shoes?" That was a really good experience actually while I was there because then I got to see the move from the old site to the new site. Right. And yeah. I think that gave me a, a fair bit of confidence to then start thinking about having the chance to set up my own little setup and then then getting the chance and the opportunity to to set up on my own so that's where where dan's brewery sort of originated right. from which i don't know how many people know or have ever heard of <laughs> hopefully not very many people it was great to have the opportunity to to go it on my own in, in a way sort of make my own decisions on on stuff and i, I learned a hell of a lot uh, but everything was obviously everything was sort of done on a, a shoelace so i got to yep. learn a lot of sort of diy stuff which <laughs> actually have mike um who taught me a lot and and to be honest i ended up just holding a lot of tools for him in a way but we you know we um we like dug our own drains and put all that in mm. ourselves which obviously saved us a fortune because we're in a railway arch. In yeah, London. a big, a pretty big railway arch nonetheless, isn't it? I mean, it's. I've been to Alphabet, which is next door but three or whatever from you, isn't it? And so I guess if you're yeah, the same yeah. size space as they've got, then it's a, you know, that's a substantial, substantial. It's space. a good, yeah, yeah, it's a good space, really good, in fact. And I think it was one of the ones when I sort of saw it, I was like, yeah, I can actually visualize all the tanks and and everything in this empty space, and and that was one of the. I sort of felt more like, oh, really excited to actually to go forward with this. So I started Dan's Brewery and tried to do, well, basically tried to do everything as much as possible myself. And with like a 20 heck sort of production and everything, I was, wow. <laughs> wasn't getting through as much as I thought I could, basically. And, um, and obviously we wanted to grow and whatnot. Essentially, we had to grow and, and, and take some people on board. And I think one of the first people we got on was... Um, was Tina, who's our designer extraordinaire. Yes. Mm, um, we got her and, and Matt as well. So Matt's like head brewer now. I don't know if I should explain. With, with Dan's Brewery, I didn't pay really any time or heed to branding or naming or anything like that. So 
the obviously my priority at the time coming from a production background was just solely on the production side just, getting, just the get, getting the brew kit established getting yeah. recipes dialed in or whatever yeah, that's, yeah that makes sense and then getting all the legal side of things getting all the registration mm. and everything so i was very focused on all those aspects and then <laughs> made the first beer and and well and then the second batch actually and started being like oh i need to sell this to someone now <laughs> and then being like oh sugar what am i going to call it <laughs> So I'd only really been talking to, you know, friends and family about the brewery and like my dad, whenever he was talking to someone about it, he'd always just refer to it as, oh, Dan's Brewery. Right. And so, and then my mum, whenever she told someone, she it just started being more and more referred to as Dan's Brewery. So that's why, and then couldn't think of anything else. So that's why I ended up as Dan's Brewery for that short stint. And seeing as it was mainly me here that worked in, in a way, but I was happy once we, we brought Tina and Matt mm. on board. And now I had a good excuse to write. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have a think. I'm going to make a proper name because there's no way I could, with them guys, put in the time and effort in that they, they have done. That You know, it can't just be under sort of my name in a way. Like I bet they, actually um, it probably helped Tina's branding efforts, the fact that she was literally working with a blank canvas because you'd made yeah. no effort whatsoever on the branding side. I guess it meant that she didn't have anything to try and need to evolve or whatever. You could just turn the page just and, and start, start wonderful designs that, that everybody knows and loves now. So I think, I bet she probably appreciated that start, you know, starting literally with a blank canvas there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know at the very beginning it was, it was a lot of work because I think a lot of breweries are, are maybe a little bit more organized than myself. People who are setting these up and they give themselves a lot longer. So there'll be people who, you know, design a logo for, six months or, or you know or take 12 months to come up with a name for their brewery yep. and and basically i just passed it on to tina and said yeah we, we need this as soon as possible <laughs> um and so sort of gave her a week so oh my goodness yeah, yeah. by um, the way i've got all yeah. these beer, i've got all these beers that are ready to be sold so we need pump clips and <laughs> yeah we, we need we need pump clips we need artwork we need a new name we need a new logo the name was a tricky one we we took probably that probably took between me Tina and Matt sort of going backwards and forwards saying like what do we enjoy doing we want to mm-hmm. you know try and link it to something like and so so it is about us guys um and yeah. and there's myself and Tina like Tina especially is is really keen on on climbing and okay. gold, yeah mm-hmm. um, and, and going out and doing that outdoors climbing scene and and Matt is hugely into his um long bike rides so right. the other week he was aiming to do a 200 mile ride unfortunately i don't think he quite made it but i think he's done you know he's done huge 150 ones if not more before wow. um <laughs> but he's super keen on his cycling and, and being outside and stuff so we sort of tried to build that in a little bit um yep. uh but yeah so so basically it took us about a week of on and off talking about you know we get an hour here and there to talk about the name and come up with it and then the logo was quite good because I really like the logo, to be honest. I think mm, Tina did. I do too, yeah. She spent, it must have been like 20 minutes just doing it on a page on in her notebook at the time. And she did a full page of logos and then just passed it to me and said, oh, what do you think to any of these? And I just pointed at it and said, that one, that's <laughs> the one. And that was it, tw- like 20 minutes and, and the job was a, was a good one. But then all the stress of saying, we've got all these beers now, you need to do <laughs> to do the full artwork for them so it was very intense for her anyway at the beginning not all people will know necessarily but or notice is that she'll she'll put the specific hop that is 
in that beer. So if it's a mosaic and citra beer, the little hop characters, their bodies are actually drawn from those hops. Right. Absolute <laughs> differences. So if you got if you started to no, like notice them, you could tell what hops were in one of our beers by just looking at the picture. But That's... I think you have to have a bit of a trained eye but you would wouldn't you but it's a fabulous attention to detail i love it let's discuss this first beer dan which we both sipping for the last 20 minutes or so so this is octopod 12 percent imperial milkshake ipa according to your tasting notes lactose and vanilla re-fermented with over 300 grams per liter of alfonso mango and passion fruit and then generously dry hopped with citra and mosaic can you give us a bit of background to this and and then we can get into talking about it yeah this was actually one of um matt the head brewers creations i gotta give him all the, all the kudos for this one i think he did a cracking job on it mm. yeah he sort of pushed forward the the milkshake side of things for us and and it started with um, elysium another one of our beers was sort of the first big one that we did and that seemed to go down well people enjoyed drinking that i think um we, we did a bit of a launch party here at, at the brewery when we back in 17 december 17 and right mm-hmm. um, i remember us pouring alicia at the tap mm-hmm. room people giving us really nice feedback which is always really nice and um oh, yeah. especially enjoying it and sort of nipping behind the bar to top up his uh <laughs> his glass every every sort of few minutes it seems so and that was no slouch of a beer it was a 10 percenter mm-hmm. but but yeah so it started with that and that went down well so i sort of said to matt you've got any other ideas you want to you want to try out and have a have a go at just let us know and, and this was one of the ones he came up with and and that's where it started i think he did a, a fairly good job with it like absolutely i mean i think it's amazing the depths of fruit flavors a brilliant aroma i think it's a fruit smoothie on steroids beautiful depth of flavor it could be quite handy as uh, perhaps a hair of the dog if you yeah. needed a fruit juice that was also going to sort of get you through the next morning after uh, after an evening of drinking a few of these and uh, i think it probably could work quite well not that i've ever needed to uh, to resort oh, no, to no. such things of course but uh, <laughs> it's a brilliant beer and we're wondering actually um this afternoon what temperature do you think these beers should be drunk at? i mean you know my natural inclination is to chill everything to within an inch of its life and then start from there and then sort of let things warm up a bit but what would you would you is this would you say this needs to be sort of four or five degrees or, or a bit warmer than that to be fair right I mean, I don't know how much this probably comes down a lot to personal preference. Mm-hmm. So obviously what works for me and for my palate, I don't want to necessarily subscribe for everyone. But for me me personally, I prefer drinking these fairly warm. Right. Um, so like the Octopod and, and a fair few of our beers, I'm more than happy to pick up even probably around 10, 12 degrees sort of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in like, a, or even like a coldish room temperature, and obviously not sat on a windowsill baking in the sun. No. Type <laughs> but for me personally, and, and my palate, I, I tend to sometimes lose some of the bits if it's too cold. And yeah. it might just push some of the bitterness a little bit too. It just, it, it loses some of the balance in that respect. For It probably suppresses the, the alcohol booziness a bit as well, doesn't it? To chill it perhaps, mm. which is, you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I guess it depends on your, on your point of view, but I'm sure, yeah. you know, but based on Imperial, you know, drinking Imperial stouts anyway, I think that they, you know, they certainly um, really open up as they, as they warm up, don't they? You know, I usually, usually yeah. start with them pretty cold as well, because it's interesting to taste it cold and then taste it as it comes up to yeah, the over, over 15 minutes or so. Yeah, it's that long. yeah, yeah, it is in, always interesting the difference between like 
super cold and, and warmed up a bit. Yeah. I, I... This is the, um, so first time I've had a 12% beer on the podcast actually this evening and, and we've got two oh, of them. So it's, it's this, this could get a bit messy later on. So we need to have all the serious conversation up front because I can't vouch for how coherent this is going to be in about 40 minutes time, but we'll, <laughs> we'll make a best yeah, of it. Yeah, that's, that's fine with me. We'll get through all the, the serious nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So talking about your background from Marble, so obviously you're very familiar with cask beer and, and I know that you do or at least did produce some cask beer at Wonder Beyond. Is that still the case or is the current sort of situation force you to turn away from that? So the current situation, like you say, has unfortunately put, put a stop on it. Obviously there was little to no point producing cask over lockdown no. when all bars are shut because obviously it's not the type of product to, to, to keep in that fashion. <laughs> so we mainly switched our focus over to, to can and then and and some some keg now as well as places have started to open up again and yeah. we've got a myriad of reasons why we've sort of put a hold on on cask because lockdown gave us a bit of a chance to have a, a proper think about what we want to do and where we want to go and whatnot but obviously one of the major factors is we don't know how certain that places are still going to stay open and for how long you know no. we're going to get local especially being up here in manchester and seeing what's going on how long places are going to actually stay open so i think for the time being until we're a bit more settled anyway and we have have time to think about what we might do in the future and whatnot i think we're just going to put a bit of a hold on on cask which unfortunately has upset a few people you know can only be sorry about but to to do what we we think is best for the the situation yeah of course you do absolutely you don't have your own tap room but you do seem to have the knot as practically as your tap room in terms i was looking at the uh at their tap list on untap at the weekend and and i think i know it's it's actually three or four weeks out of date actually but uh i think that 19 19 of the 24 taps were were your beers um at the moment not so that's pretty good yeah and then there's actually a bar in um in Cholton called the Chalton Tap, which mm-hmm. have pretty much all our beer all the time. So that's probably where the people are the most unhappy about our, our lack of cask is that used to get through a lot of uh, peak was our just a 3.8% pale ale on cask right. and mm-hmm. had a fair dry hop of citra mosaic, but still nice drinkable, sort of not too punchy, not too in your face, but enjoyable hopefully. yeah still a, it's a huge market for you know in that category of beer absolutely yeah so there's a lot of unhappy regulars i think there unfortunately but in that they now get to drink you know more of stuff like pints from marble which obviously knows is is one of the best if not the best in, in that category absolutely yeah um, and stuff like that so it's not like we're I mean, we're not short of great cask pails around here with the breweries who are up here so no um, were you putting some of your bigger beers into cask as well yeah it's, it's always something we enjoyed doing especially we invested in a lot of little small pins right so instead of a firkin we would put it into a pin and and put them on so it was always something i enjoyed if, if i went to one of these places is to have a good few big 10 11 12 percent mm. step on on cask just perfect for me my, <laughs> my favorite so it's something i think that side we probably will do again and, and will maintain and without getting too much into the commercial weeds of it dan what, what would people be willing to pay for a, a pint of a 11 12 percent imperial stout on cask 
Or well, half well, for that, mate. Well, I hope you're not, probably not selling it in pints, but let's talk about half. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny thing for Casper, really, to be thinking, what would this price would this be per third in yeah, a way? Yeah. Where you wouldn't bat an eyelid at keg beer, no. but half beer sounds a bit funny. Can I have a third of that? I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I guess it would depend on, on the pub in a way. Um, because obviously we sell it at our price, yeah. and then the pub decides what price they're going to sell it to the to the people. They've got to make their markup on it. They've mm-hmm. got to be able to their bills and same as us. So so we say out at a price that it costs us plus some, so that we can reinvest back in and and whatnot, and hopefully pay everyone at the end of the day is be nice, the main. Yeah. I, I so, guess the point of the question was: Are you under pressure to price that beer in cast significantly lower than than the equivalent beer in keg? in order to, to sort of satisfy the expectation that the customers have that cask is cheaper? Ah, right, I see. Um, it's a good question. I have to admit, I don't feel for us, I don't think we really ever feel a pressure when we set prices in okay. the fact that we do it on, we'll make a product and we'll cost it and then we'll just sell it at, at that price. So it's not like we think of a price first and then build a product around it. It's right. We we make a product and then we work out how what does much that cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then say right, well that means we have to sell it at this price. And so far that's worked for us. I know that it's very different for for a lot of people in their in their different positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Matt had it a bit more than the places where I've worked. Matt spent a bit of time at a, a brewery in Yorkshire somewhere who were trying to you know fulfil orders for the likes of Weatherspoons. Right. Mm. And, and that was very much Matt would build a recipe and then uh, the owner would come back and say sorry we're gonna have to you know we're gonna have to drop the hop build too many by, hops in that one yeah <laughs> yeah so he'd like cut it by like 80 percent of the hops Ooh. to make the price point for well. for these so I really don't want to ever go down that route and, and I think that's hopefully one of the things that Matt finds a bit refreshing here is that we give him a bit more freedom to pick what he wants to to work with try and really source the best stuff that he can get ingredients or barrels or whatever it is um, and hopefully that pays dividends down the line in, in the fact the product's good and then if the product's good hopefully people are happy paying the price so long as we can make sure that we uh, are offering a good product hopefully people don't mind paying the prices that we we set on it and no. i guess one of the things with I don't know if this is, I might just be rambling now that I'm. No, this is good. It's good. I'm... <laughs> through this can, it's uh, starting to ramble a bit. But one of the good things, I suppose, about trying to find silver linings where you can is the online shop and selling a bit more direct to people now with, with COVID. Instead of some of our cans, you know, ending up at 12 quid or 10, 12 mm. quid in, in some somewhere else, we can sell them direct to people at basically half the price because. Yeah you're cutting out two people in a way which obviously i imagine is not great for the likes of the distributors and the bars unfortunately but we're making the product and we're selling it at a price that we can sell it at and people that can then buy it direct at those prices which is totally better for the end consumer and, and a lot better for us so yeah i mean so, not, not to mention the fact that they're getting beer freshly canned and exactly in the in the condition yeah. that you you would expect it to be yeah and the, um, the, the other big benefit of course is you, it gives you the opportunity to know who your customers are and to start to build a 
a long-term relationship with them. So yeah. there, there are some positives, but I am very sympathetic to the, the bottle shots, you know, because those guys are continue to do an amazing job. Yep. Yeah, always. And they, they, we, we have some very close people we work closely with and unfortunately, obviously lockdown, very hard to and stuff. And, and we're just trying to open our doors up again. One more question down a similar path to that one. Very topical this week. I don't know how much you follow Instagram, Dan, oh, but you know, there's obviously been a... Terrible on, on, on the social media. Tina's, Tina's better on all that side. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, you guys do a great job, by the way, with, with your social media, but uh, it's just not you. Oh, but but, but the, reason, the reason I mention it is there's been a massive new release of beers into both Morrison's and Tesco's in the past week from some pretty credible breweries, Northern Monk, and leading the way, breweries like Siren and Salt and Lervig. Some really big names have put quite a few new beers into both Tesco's and Morrison's. Could you see Wonder Beyond following that path, or is that something that you feel strongly against? Um, I not necessarily feel strongly against, I suppose. It just doesn't... Uh, we've actually... Uh, I don't know how much I can say or whatnot, but we have been a, a, approached um, a couple of times, but it's not it it just it doesn't work with our setup i don't think i don't think we could make it work in a in any sort of viable or proper way you would just struggle just to doesn't... satisfy the volumes that they would need i guess as, as much as anything or... yeah it, it just doesn't fit and it's not that i don't i know that there's some people out there who, who just don't strongly disagree with it and for very good reasons and and then there's people who who it does it does fit and does suit and I, I don't think there's any right or wrong. I think it's down to an individual setup, like how you, how you're how you want to run your business, how you absolutely, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's everything. I I really um I don't mind going into Sumo and being able to buy like Northern Monk like today and and like North cans and even like some of the sour stuff from from uh, Overworks at Brewdog and yeah, I think there was even some Evil Twin in. It was yeah yeah one of the Tesco's that was mm-hmm. signed has mentioned it to me the other day and stuff so you know I, I, that's great if you know say one of your mates is having a barbecue or something and you just nip in to get some burgers and all of a sudden you've got a trolley full of great beers from great breweries at the same time it's it's not not a bad thing but i don't know what what effect that has on these breweries you know i don't know whether i, I honestly don't know what agreements and contracts or whatever these people have made or, or, or not so i don't know if there is un- underlying stuff that back a house that you don't you don't know how, how no. it but, but from a purely selfish and having a barbecue with mates <laughs> it can't be a bad thing well i guess know. another another potentially good thing about it is the fact that it's theory at least growing the craft beer audience for everybody um and so you would yeah. hope that if people are going into a vocation was another uh uh, another brewery yeah, that, that's, that have, have obviously done quite a lot already in uh, in supermarkets, and they they've got a new imperial stout in Morrison's, and so the hope is that somebody will get a flavour for for the vocation imperial stouts and then start drinking yours. You know, that would be it's not a bad thing, is it? <laughs> no, no, not a bad thing. Um, yeah, I might have to go and try and find myself one of them. <laughs> Enough about supermarkets, anyway. It's uh, let's just have a quick chat about your style as a brewery because i think from my perspective i think you're probably one of the most clearly differentiated craft brewers in the uk which in itself is quite an achievement considering there's two two and a half thousand breweries or whatever now you guys are very very well known and well positioned particularly for for the two beers we're drinking tonight for the imperial milkshake ipas and for the imperial stout so you know that that's great work but is that something that that was 
pre-planned or have you sort of fallen into that as a, as a sort of positioning? Well, I'd love to say it was pre-planned. Um, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, that would, yeah, we meant it all along. Um, <laughs> Your master plan, yeah. Master plan, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I, I think very fortunately we've sort of just stuck with our very simple original ideas and just sort of seen where they take us. So obviously when we started, we, I think a lot of it comes down to as well as the beers that we design and, and the big ideas that Matt has production wise, I think as well, the artwork sort of helps push that as well. Yeah. And I think, so obviously with, with Tina making a very distinct look, I suppose has helped that as a, as a factor. Yep. I would say. And then I think the, the beers that Matt comes up and suggests and then executes has driven that, I guess. So we've always sort of, you know, it's that age old thing that people say of where you want to, you want to brew beers, you want to drink sort of thing. And now, like I know I, my favorite beer style has always been Imperial Stouts, you know, since I started drinking. And I know that both Matt and Tina, when they came on board, were both very keen on big, strong Imperial Stouts and, and, and the likes of that. And obviously people's flavours and tastes change. And I know that one of Matt's loves the likes of Cantian and, and, and whatnot. Right. And I think that might be something that obviously won't be Lambic, but that sort of take a, take some inspiration from there. And I think that might be something we can look at over the next few years pushing forward. So I think he'd really enjoy that. And then the other one is... Um, so, yeah, it's it's not something we pre-planned or not had a master plan for. It'd be nice to be able to take credit for that. <laughs> I think from from the outside looking in, you, it seems like you guys have got a really clear idea of what Wonder Beyond stands for, as far as beers are concerned. And you know, and you're you're following that, and you're not being tempted to do a lager one week and a brown ale the next week and a New England night. So you you know, you guys are you've got beers which are fashionable anyway, so that's good. I mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be such a great idea if people weren't drinking Imperial Stouts. So, but the fact is they are, uh, probably in higher quantities now than, than ever before. And so that's good. Yeah. Um so so long may long may you continue to to deliver great beers in that category, you know? No, that's an interesting um an interesting thought is I wonder at what point does it change now i might be digging myself into a hole here but obviously i love drinking imperial stouts and i want us to make as many as possible but yeah i'm trying to think i think still even if no one was buying them we'd still be still be <laughs> i mean not not great business sense but i would try and still fit in as many as fiscally possible i suppose at that point if people did stop buying them and, and i think this the same is i i wonder because I, I have to admit, I've started to enjoy these milkshake IPAs that we're we're producing, and um, that maybe has a bit more potential to be one of these faddy styles of beer that come and go. And whether it will be a couple of years down the line and no one else is making them, and will it still be financially possible for us to make? Because we enjoy brewing them and enjoy yeah. drinking. So I I hope there's enough people out there that we can still keep producing them because. You know we enjoy enjoy making them so i wouldn't like to think that we'd be one of these people who just flip-flop from whatever seems like the the best beer style to be brewing at that time but who knows you have to wait and see in the future don't you is the only 
very hard to predict isn't it but you know that when the day hopefully it never does come but when the day comes where can't open the door of your cold store because there's so many cans of the you know the last milkshake ipa still sitting there with you know, nobody ordering them then then that will probably tell you that you perhaps need to have a rethink but while they're still moving yeah. out nicely then you're doing all you know you're doing the right thing aren't you yeah and then that just becomes me hoarding it at some point <laughs> you, you take <laughs> them home and pretend you're selling them that's it yeah <laughs> yeah you're just buying them yourself <laughs> all right then let's take a short break this week in craft beer was established in january 2020 to promote the independent uk craft beer scene via a free weekly newsletter published every monday the newsletter includes the key new beer releases from the previous week as well as an extensive directory of web shops and other craft beer news as things open up again we will also feature a detailed events calendar taproom directory and taproom reviews you can register to receive this by email every monday morning at thisweekincraft.beer so i'm back with dan from wonder beyond for the second half of the show dan you guys are based in what i don't know if it's officially called the manchester beer quarter but it probably should be you're literally next door to manchester beer union and alphabet probably 200 yards from cloudwater and track and squawk and maybe another couple of hundred yards to beer nouveau if you start to think about the greater Manchester brewery scene, adding in people like Pomona Island and Beatniks Republic and Manchester Brewing Company and Stubber Mule and Marble, you know, it goes on and on and on. It's an absolutely extraordinary list. I know it's a cliche to go into raptures about how great a beer scene is in, in the larger UK cities. And in fact, there are some terrific ones like Leeds and of course, London and Bristol. But I think Manchester probably stands alone. I think in terms of being a really early starter, in the craft beer scene as well so a lot of you guys are very well established rather than sort of being launched in the last year or two so i think the hype is fully justified how can you explain it and talk to me about how it, it helps you thrive yeah um totally it's a weird one I, I obviously brought up in manchester and apart from you know going away for uni and work sort of lived in manchester the rest of the time so i've always in, enjoyed the beer scene around here um, obviously hugely fortunate to, to grow up around the likes of the Marble Arch and, and, and Marble. So we're talking 20 years ago, there was already an amazing beer scene in Manchester, yep. essentially. And you were getting, obviously I'm going to be that smidge bit biased, but <laughs> we're getting some of the best beer in the world here in Manchester from Marble. So, you know, they were getting invited out to all these festivals in across Europe and the beer was going out to America um, or still is. So Manchester has this huge heritage of of outstanding beer and has done for decades, essentially. And Mm -hmm. and it's great to to finally put our little little tiny mark on on that. So yeah, it's been great to to not only do it in the the city that I I grew up in and, and, and have all these close friends around us and family who lend no no end of support you know you phone you phone up one one brewery for a bag of malt or a, you know some can boxes or something you might be short of that you know they they'll say oh yeah i've got it or oh no unfortunately we've not got any but they'll say why don't you give such and such a call from and you just you know we all we're all here to help out and all enjoy having a drink with each other so so yeah no it's great it's it's good. I, I wish I got to go out a bit more and, and see how I'm missing some of the guys, to be fair. Um, I bet you are, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I've been locked away in, in the cave that is, is the railway arch. <laughs> um, no windows or anything, so 
but yeah, been missing actually sharing a beer with the, with these people from around Manchester. I assume you would have been at uh, friends and family in February, were you? Um, yeah, we we weren't pouring, but we mm. were um, there drinking, and had a great time, and yeah. it was. But you got Indie Man as well, of course, which is is that October usually? It's generally early October. Yeah, which... so obviously that is skipping this year, but hopefully yeah. this time next year we'll be in a position to to be back yeah, to some sort of normal. End up spending well, have done for the past couple of years. My birthday there, it. So that's always been a bit of a a nice uh, coincidence, and it's always been good fun. So I think, oh, absolutely, yeah. beautiful venue as well, of course, isn't it? The, uh, oh, lovely! The, the, yeah, yeah. I think, to be honest, the building's probably obviously the beer's the best thing, mm. but then second is is the the building is is just amazing. Absolutely, yeah, no, definitely. Let's talk about this next beer. This is yeah. Coconut Crater, twelve percent Imperial Milk Stout. Tasting notes: a healthy dose of toasted coconut cacao and vanilla for a thick decadent treat i think it's absolutely delicious this is very much up my street you were saying this is the sort of beer you like to drink very much me as well i think it's got as much coconut as i think i've ever tasted in an imperial stout i think you've got that flavor really comes through and i'm not sure it's that easy to actually get coconut to taste as vibrant as it does in in this beer so that's a great achievement what's your thoughts on this one yeah i'm gonna say this probably doesn't work too well for Actually, I was going to say it probably won't work very well for a podcast, but I have got a, a, a good picture of all the coconut uh, that we put into bags and had submerged in the beer. And then once we transferred off the beer, transferred the beer off into the bright tank, there's a picture of all of them hanging in there. It's quite a good. Um, but you're using, you're basically using desiccated coconut in muslin bags or something. Are you actually in the. Sort of like flaked coconut. So okay. like these toasted coconut flakes. And then, yeah, muslin bags um, chucked in just towards the end of fermentation, pretty much, and then left in for over chill. And, and then we'll transfer off it when we think we've got what we want from the coconut. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh-huh. It works out beautifully. And so both these beers that we've, we've discussed and tasted this evening are rebrews of highly celebrated beers from, from a year or two back for you guys, um, which is great. It's nice that you get demand to, to bring a beer back. But I'd like to talk to you about that process because firstly, how hard do you try to stick to the recipe or do you try and improve and adapt when you do a rebrew? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. To be honest, it depends. So we don't have any set rules on on this really if we're doing a rebrew and we're fairly happy with the previous results then we'll we'll stick with them uh if there is things like major things that we do think i did enjoy that but i think we could tweak it in these ways and that'll be a better product then we will do and we won't we won't shy away from it but then if something we've brewed and, and you know we, we try and be as critical probably sometimes too critical and to be honest I kind of prefer it that way I always try to be hypercritical of our own products really so we will try and criticize it to to the utmost and and decide whether we should change something or not so it's more often than not the case that we'll sit down we'll drink it we'll have a chat and we'll go yeah it's all right but to be honest, it could could do a bit more. It could be a bit punchier or whatnot. So we actually upped the coconut in this batch than the first batch. Right. Um, and we have done that with other beers where we've said, yeah, that was good, but we could just do with another, you know, just that little bit extra. 
and so we will when we next brew it. Uh, so, like, presumably, we, you're very rarely going to say, "Oh, actually, we're going to put a bit less coconut in this time, or a bit less cacao, or whatever." You know, that that's not the kind of conversation you would expect to be having, is it? No, I don't think that's ever happened. No. <laughs> and the reason I ask that is, so obviously, the market moves on inevitably and that's one of the wonderful things about this whole craft beer scene is that brewers are evolving you know you're learning from your your peers and your competitors um certainly as a as a craft beer fan i think my palate's evolving perhaps what i'm doing is blowing out my taste buds with too many big uh, imperial beers but any in any case I think that you start to at least hopefully appreciate things more and develop a more refined palate for for tasting these beers and so i get pretty cross when i was doing a bit of research this afternoon on untapped looking at some of the reviews on particularly on on this beer actually where people were saying this isn't the same beer i had a couple of years ago this is not you know it's it's not as whatever it's not as coconutty it's not as chocolatey it's because as far as i'm concerned that's an absolute nonsense even if they were right and it wasn't as coconutty i absolutely defy anybody to be able to recall that from two or three years ago so i just think people are making themselves look pretty stupid when they make comments like oh you know this isn't the beer i remembered you know they 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 really let me down this time and i'd love to get your sort of brewer's perspective on that yeah it's um it's definitely a tricky one i have to admit we're maybe in a lucky position where we don't get it too often uh, with our products because we do i guess that's an advantage of doing new stuff so often like it's one of the things around manchester and you could have this in probably countless bars around manchester is this conversation about marble ginger for example everyone will say oh it's not what it used to be or oh i remember when it was like this or it was like that or and you don't know it, it's everyone's one you're going off everyone has their own individual palette yeah so that means there's so much variance there already and second you know it's people's memories that it's all based on you know you've got different times in your life with you know it's that whole idea of rose tinted glasses in a way Definitely. Um, you enjoy a beer more when you're having a good day than when you're not having a good day. That's inevitable, isn't it? You know, and it, and it might just yeah. be simply that the temperature it's served at or goodness knows what. But it, I just think it's... And just to put this into perspective, Dan, I don't want you to think that everybody's slamming this beer because, you know, this is an average 4.3 on Untapped. And I think I found two or three comments out of several hundred that were making those sort of statements. And But it, it just makes me cross. And I think get quite frustrated when I hear people talk about beers from years ago and you know and then they drink it again now it's oh it's not the same you know and it's just why wouldn't it be surely the brewer knows better than you do you know whether it's the same beer because they've got the recipe (laughs) and you don't yeah exactly and i feel the breweries who the utmost respect for breweries who have been brewing the same beer for Mm. decades and decades where you're dealing with natural ingredients here so they change from year to year absolutely especially the hops yeah yeah so you're talking hops or a malt and everything and and you're you're dealing with a living organism as well so when you've got a brewery who has its own house culture that's obviously going to develop over time and there's a lot of time where if you were to make a beer to the same recipe on the same kit a year between each other it's going to taste totally different so i think a lot of skill comes in from some of these breweries who are doing these beers they have utmost respectful like i say is is having to tweak the recipes to try and keep the same product yes absolutely yeah which like you're saying with with the hops is is a major thing because you could be like either having to dial down the hops of a certain variety because it's a bit more punchier this year or even selecting a totally different variety to get 
the similar flavors in the end product because yeah. the varieties that year are totally different the flavors are totally different from that apart from our peak which we were doing pre-lockdown that was the only beer where we would ruin it week in week out and that was the one where we tried to <laughs> it depends on how long you were drinking it for and, and how regular because obviously we i can't sit still sometimes and would change it and i would push it more to how i would want it to taste so then there would be changes in it and and i think sometimes people are like oh what's he done now with it so you can hear those people grumbling in the knot and the chalton tap saying oh it's just not the same beer anymore you know <laughs> and maybe actually yeah. they were right that time yeah you know you've got the likes of marble who have pint yeah. and like lagonda from marble that beer is probably older than i am <laughs> trying to keep that consistent quality of, of a product and and like you say the whole scene it becomes a much mm. different topic whereas we've been going for what f- nearly three years yeah. whereas someone like marble who've been going for 20 years trying to keep a product that they made 20 odd years ago relevant in today's beer scene is a difficult thing from not having it change from what it originally was either so it still is in essence that same beer you got to do both, I think, haven't you? you? You know, you've obviously got customers that are going to want to go and drink, as you say, Lagonda or Pint and expect it to be the same beer, but you can't really expect those beers to compete with, I'm not necessarily saying your beers, because I think you're, I regard you as sort of a more specialist end of the market, but there are bitters and pales that think would, in, in my personal opinion anyway, be significantly superior just for the fact that those recipes are being written today rather than 20 years ago, the, the, the market's yeah. moved on. Yeah, it's that whole thing about the market changing and, and whether it's for the better or for the worse or, or not. But I do think it's, again, it's one of those things where these recipes started 20 odd years ago and, mm. and showed you how far, the fact that they're still relevant today is, is shows you how far advanced some of the marble recipes were for their time. Mm. In well, respect yeah. to those core beers, anyway, because obviously some of the other stuff they're doing is brand new and cutting edge. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no question. I think they, they strike a pretty good balance, don't they? So when I said that, that I get cross with people saying that Coconut Crater doesn't taste like it did three years ago or two years ago, whenever you last brewed it, I've got more respect for people who maybe say that Marble Pint doesn't taste like it did two or three years ago because they might have been drinking five pints a night of that for the past three years and so you've got your you know you can absolutely get dialed in on what a beer should taste like but if you just had one can of this three years ago please don't tell me it's changed you know that's a nonsense how much attention do you pay to untapped and instagram in terms of feedback ratings opinions criticism um well i guess i don't i'd say mostly tina's social media side of things so she just relays back to me all the nice positive things that people say. Whereas I'm sure like the, there must be bits that she doesn't tell me. Um, it's always just great when people say, oh, I've loved this beer. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a brilliant sort of direct feedback channel that didn't exist for any business, did it? Up until, well, let's call it five years ago anyway. So it's, it's a unique world we're living in where you've got that instant direct feedback from your customer base. We get such nice the emails from people, it does really put a smile on your face. You know, mm. we spend hour upon hour here in this, like I say, windowless cave, um, <laughs> essentially. And um, don't get me wrong, it's a very nice... nice nicely with, fitted out windowless cave, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one, of, one of the top caves you can get. I bet, yeah. Um, but nevertheless, it, it does make a massive difference when someone takes the time and effort to write you an email or to send a, a message and, and, and say that they really enjoy 
a beer or a brewery or whatever it does make a huge difference it's it's really nice it always puts a smile on my face and it's cool and you know you, you get it at beer festivals as well where people come up to you and and say oh i love you guys and yep. the, this such and such beer is my favorite beer of last year or whatever and when are you brewing it again and mm. stuff and that's all the good the good stuff and um, sure it is there's very few consumer products that you could mention that you have such passionately invested customers as you do with craft beer so you know that's that's good if you're pleasing them it's not so good if you're upsetting them but no like like i say i imagine we have our fair share of people who aren't as happy with us but it's very rare that tina maybe she just tells me about the most upset ones it's very rare she does come back and say oh there was someone questioning us about such and such a beer what was it in respect to this situation and then me and matt will say well what what did they say and and then normally we can send something back to them and explain whatever it is and then people are really nice then in, in saying oh thanks for, for that now i understand or i know we had a, a funny one a, a little while back on one of the social medias that i think again hats off to dean she dealt with very well was she'd done some really nice photos of our cans and beer and put up it was on either twitter or instagram and someone came back with like oh i don't believe that breweries are still using plastic wraps for their cans you know what all this plastic that's in the world sort of thing that makes these aluminium cans unrecyclable and whatnot right we don't use plastic our, our can wraps are made from cornstarch it's no, that's nice yeah totally plastic free sort of thing and but Tina spent the time to to explain this, you know, and she she did it very professionally, and right. very friendly, um, which I have to admit, this is probably why I don't go on social media so much. <laughs> been as as friendly, um, but she spent the time, and there's a few mm. comments between the two of them, and and then he came back saying, "Oh wow, that's really interesting. That's really good." Nice, yeah. And so I think there can be a positivity out out of them, even if it's doesn't seem that way from the, the get-go so yeah. yeah i think generally speaking most people are saying a lot of positive things about one to be on you guys are currently if, if you're interested you're currently ranked 16 out of all the breweries in england on untapped and there's about wow. 50, there's about 1500 so you're doing all right just there so. oh, <laughs> well, and there's very little very very small increments between 16th and first really you know you've, you've to, no you're good yeah. you, you, you guys are doing great things dan i know you guys have barrel aging and i'd be really curious to to understand where that's up to and you know when we start to see some product from it we've actually been emptying two barrels today so we had a cool collab we did just over a year ago with vault city oh wow great mm-hmm. um, which was a like a chocolate imperial stout uh, yeah it was called louis and um it was the artwork and the name was based around one of the Vault City guys is uh, their dog. Okay. And um, so if you see the artwork for the can and whatnot, you'll, you'll recognize it's actually their dog. Is it still in, in the Wonder Beyond style? Yeah, it's all yeah. Tina's artwork. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it still has, I think it has like our little two row barley characters climbing over it and stuff. <laughs> and with like chocolate buildings, because obviously it was chocolate imperial style. So it's, it's pretty cool. But yeah, so we brewed that about a year ago. And at the time, we before packaging, we took a couple of bourbon barrels, uh, filled them from the base beer. And then they've been aging for, you know, just over 12 months, sort of thing. Nice. And me and Matt 
tasted them from the barrel about a month ago and said, yeah, these ones are about ready. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll, so we just emptied them today, actually, into one of our bright tanks. And then that will be hopefully be bottled uh, end of the week. And then we have to send it off for a bit of the ABV analysis. And... You'll be packaging that into 375 mil glass, will you? Or? No, I think we're going to go for, I think, to be honest, after tasting it with Matt, it, it we quite liked it and, and i think it deserves a, a 750 mil oh nice mm. and tina's already picked out the color for the wax so we're um we're gonna get that the wax going, going for the full-on uh, the full ex- extravagant presentation lovely make a nice christmas present actually if you can get it if you can get it you know into into the webshop yeah, if we in get time. it out in time mm. if we get it out in time fingers <laughs> crossed but yeah what, what else have you got in barrel oh we've got a whole a myriad of things actually you know we've got a, a a whole bunch of stuff just wow. give me a sense of the scale of you know how many how many barrels have you got how many barrels roughly uh, i would say pushing 60 ish okay and some of them some of them is like a full batch into like you know 10 12 barrels so, I think. Right. so that's that takes up you know like a, a quarter or so and then then we've got a lot of like where we like with the louis where we pulled off one or two barrels off a certain batch which are a little bit more, if, if it's good, it can be really good. Oh, and then yes. <laughs> if, if, if not the barrel, you, you'll never see um, the light of day type of thing, unfortunately, but it's the risk you take. And you mostly using bourbon barrels or you've got the mix, I guess? Yeah, we've got, we've got a bunch. So we've got a few port barrels that I'm personally a bit excited about because I quite like. I love sometimes. port, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I like the odd imperial stout with a little bit of twang or or something like that to it. So any sort of fruited imperial stout, and and this takes me back to my Burning Sky days, where like Onlyf mm. was one of my favourite beers, and that was like a big dark beer with a little a little something something on it, and and that was that was pretty special. And then they did like the raspberry versions and stuff, and that, mm. that was just ideal for me. So. So yeah, so we've got a few imperial stouts in like red wine and port barrels, nice. and see how they develop. Um, we also we've got we've got a few sherry barrels actually, like a few PX and um, some wine, like dessert wine barrels. Mm-hmm. We've got a con- cognac barrel actually with oh, a bar. Nice. Yeah, It'll be interesting. I ask people to give what I call a shout out to a little guy, and that is asking you to mention it might be a local needs to be local it might be a brewer it might be a bottle shop it might be somebody else a tap room perhaps somebody else in the beer ecosystem that you think is doing a great job supporting not just perhaps wonder beyond but the, the industry in general that you'd like to draw attention to that you know maybe our audience can seek out the next time they're in manchester and my shout out for the little guy yeah as a as a bottle shop i think back when we were still fairly new we had a huge amount of support from a little bar slash, I don't know if you call it a bottle shop or bar. I think it's definitely more, for me anyway, a bar, but with great bottle selection. Right. And there's reasons to be cheerful. Right. And we, I don't know if I'd call them little guys or not, but we, we had a great night there. We did a, a freeway tap takeover, meet the brewer type event with like the guys from Pomona Island and nice. um, uh, Beatniks, I think it was. And, um, we had a great night, basically, with, with those. had some, yeah, I couldn't stop drinking the Pomona Island uh, IPA that was on. Um, <laughs> it led to a few 
uh, it led to the the later escapades, as it were. But yeah, essentially, I had a great time. Well, I haven't just... been there myself. I heard good things about it. But were they south, slightly southwest of the city centre, aren't they? Yeah, I want to say it's Burnage Way. I think. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah. Definitely, it's on my to-do list. The next time I'm up your way is to, is to, to go there and check those guys out. So I will. Uh, that, that's a nice, uh, a nice recommendation, Dan. And I'll add that. I'll put that in the show notes so people can uh, can find their their website. Um, I have a wrap-up question, Dan, which is: What would be your ultimate happy hour? Where would you be? Who would you be with? And what would you be drinking? And it could be anywhere in the world. Uh, well, I know what's sprung straight to mind, but I don't know if it's going to be a bit of a. Let's do it. say it as you see it well not boring but it's just kind of what I do or definitely before lockdown what I did a lot was um, was the Marble Arch right Um, it's got to be the place again obviously kind of biased it's a bit of a a home away from home or more a home than than home in a a way yeah yeah a home home at home yeah (laughs) yeah so I think, yeah. Just, who, who who would you want there with you? Who do I want? Well, obviously it's got to be got to be the family, really. And then, and then it's it's always good fun when, like, obviously it all changes with like lockdown stuff. But pre-lockdown, it was always good fun having the mixture of having family and friends there. So like, I think always my friends always really enjoyed coming and and spending the night and and having good fun with with the family and and vice versa. So I think just friends and family um, and what, what are you going to be drinking a legitimate answer to that or not a synthesizer a little bit no, but anyway, and what would be drinking it'd have to be decadence i think for me what's the abv of decadence i should know that but i don't well it's changed over the years depending on batch that year sort of thing so but it's always nine ten plus that sort of range right um and there was some cracking was it a port barrel aged one last year that, that was uh, that was banging and um, so yeah i think that would be friends and family at good Marble. answer yeah as you say because we can't do most of that stuff these days you know you sort of hanker for it don't you more so than uh, than you might have expected to Dan, thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed chatting to you this evening. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I will look forward to publishing this next week. Super. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's great. Nice one, Dan. Thanks so much. Coming up in the next few weeks, we have interviews with some of the UK's most exciting craft breweries. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you decide to subscribe to the podcast so you receive each episode automatically every Tuesday morning. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and leave us a review in your podcast app. It really helps others to discover the show. Full details on all our podcasts can be found at thisweekincraft.beer. You can also follow This Week in Craft Beer on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Coming soon from This Week in Craft Beer is a brand new podcast mini-series entitled So You Want to Build a Brewery? But don't worry, there'll be no brewing advice administered here. Instead, we'll be focusing on everything but the brewing, looking at some of the fine details that need to be attended to if you want to build a great business in today's competitive market. We've partnered with some of the most innovative suppliers to the UK craft brewing industry to bring you a short series of episodes, each focused on a specific aspect which can really make a difference to your business. Please subscribe now so you don't miss an episode. Launching on Friday the 28th of August, it's So You Want to Build a Brewery.